0: Well, you know. (laughs) Bad, bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's the beginning of the chapters that are on spiritual gifts. We talked about them last week, And uh, but we, if you haven't been with us, we begin with a word of prayer. We sing the word of God, set to music, we sit in silence, come back, get right into the word, talk about it, and uh, we'll go from there. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we gather together here in the uh, church studio in Salt Lake, and those of you who are with us at home, we're just grateful for your love. Uh, you loved us so much you gave us your only human son came and lived and died and uh, rose again and we just are grateful for that uh, working knowledge in our lives today pray other people will have it Uh, and uh, so we come to become more equipped to be able to walk in your spirit and that means to walk in love and so help us to exit from here more equipped to love each other love those around us because by this all men know that we are your disciples and really nothing else but our love. So, uh, we pray for those who wish to be here with us but can't for some reason, or maybe people who are having crises of faith or difficulty in their lives. We lift them up in prayer and just ask you to be with us now as we consider your words set to music. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Oh,
0: Okay, we left off last week with Paul listing a number 17 of spiritual gifts that were uh, thriving in the church bride of his day. And I suggested that they continue on today in different ways, but are present as needed in the body of believers now. At this point, Paul continues to speak of these gifts in another way. He speaks of how they're supposed to be uh, received How the people who bear the gifts are supposed to be received among each other. And uh, the words he shares are some of the most poignant in the New Testament relative to believer unity. Our need to be as a body. That's not just here in this room or you watching at home. It's the body of believers around the world. So it's the unity that we have with the people across the street at Calvary Chapel. It's the unity we have with the people down at Draper and up in uh, downtown Salt Lake and Ogden and Provo and other states and China. It is the body of believers, the unity we're supposed to have. So he begins at verse 12 in chapter 12 and says, For as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, am I not of the body? Excuse me. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where is the smelling? But now God has set the members, remember that that visual of the body being worldwide. Now God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our ugly parts have more abundant beauty. For our beautiful parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, meaning the same care as we have for yourself. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So that's, that's a lot of verses. We're going to get through them. Let's jump back to verse 12, where actually let's go to verse 11. We covered it last week. Paul has said, speaking of spiritual gifts, but all these spiritual gifts work that by that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as it will. Now he says in verse 12, for in light of the fact that the Spirit divides these gifts up as it wants, for as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he, he likens Jesus Christ himself to the body that he's talking about of believers. He makes that direct connection. So he's emphasized several times that it's the same spirit that is operating in every person who is a member of this body. It's the same spirit. So we can't think that they are operating from something that is not God. They are all operating by that same Spirit. And that Spirit is the giver of diverse gifts uh, and distributes it to the body as the Spirit seems fit, deems fit. Now, he begins to discuss the unity of the one body where these gifts are given. And he illustrates the church bride at that day. He illustrates the the body of Christ today as one body of many members one body many members and then being a Jew he does what Jews do when they write he reverses it and he says and all the members of that one body being many are one body so he gives it one direction and then he flips it and he gives it the other that is the sign of a Jewish writer they love doing that 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 type of writing they give it to you one way and then they flip it and they give it to you in the reverse so also is Christ He says. So from verse 12 to 27, Paul's main point is to say, first, there's a lot of different gifts in the body of Christ. They are all of the same spirit. Then he appeals to this illustration of how all these differing spiritual gifts are at work and should be in harmony with each other somehow in harmony with each other, one way or another, and he gives the model of the various parts to the human body. That's what he starts to do. So he's talking about the spiritual body, but he goes and he, had, he addresses and he uses a human body to make his point, and that there's mutual dependence, there's interdependence in the parts of the human body with uh, each other, all the parts, there's an interdependence. Even, I think, if we go to an extreme and talk about the little toe and the cerebellum, there is an interdependence between them. Every part of the body has an interdependence. And if we start seeing the body of Christians in the world this way, we're going to be able to knock down a lot of the stuff that really keeps us ugly and keeps us divided and keeps us hating. And I have to work on a few of these things myself as I've studied this. I have to personally, I have to change some of my thinking as we've worked on this. So in making this illustration to all the parts or members being interrelated in the human body, he takes it further from this carnal example and he moves it to the sublime. He then takes it, carnally you understand it, now let's talk about it spiritually. Let's talk about it spiritually Uh, Likening the body of believers on the earth to the actual body of Christ Himself, the Corpus Christi, like Corpus Christi, Texas, the body of Christ Himself. So He gives us this idea that the church of believers represents Christ's body spiritually. And we all function in that body in different ways. But remember, it's spiritual. That's why he says, so also is Christ, composed of many, many members. That really moves us into a sublime discussion here. That if we were to actually see it, that we could, if we were able, if God would allow us to see Christ's body in the world today, that it would be composed of members made up of different types, functioning in different ways, all part of the same spirit all unified in the same spirit in the book of Ephesians Paul wrote the following speaking of what God had done through Christ he says referring to Christ he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in the world to come and God has put all things under his feet talking about Christ and gave him to be the head over all things to his church Okay, so if we were to see the body of Christ, the head of it is Christ and the body is its members. And he then says at verse 23, so he says, And gave him to be the head over all things to his church, which is his body. He says church, and then he says, which is his body. The fullness of him that fitteth all in all. So we're talking about really a, I use this word again, sublime message here. That as believers, we ought to see ourselves as cells or parts in the body of Christ, functioning in the way that he has designed. Now, the interesting thing about that is it doesn't look the way we think it should look. It looks very different from how humans think it should look. Humans want to put it together in a box, and they want to kind of lay out their own mini body of Christ within a single organization. And they want everybody to be in those four walls of that organization to be part of that body. That is not even close. We have people who are part of the body who've never stepped foot in a church, who've never read the Bible. We have people who are part of the body who are his in the spirit. We just don't tend to see them because they're not part of the material body that we like to see in in reference. But the body of Christ is made up spiritually. God knows who those who are his. And that is the body we are speaking of. If you move out to chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says, speaking to the believers at Ephesus, that he gave us all these different offices that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, thereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So he's saying this body is growing up into the head of Christ, for whom the whole body fit, joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That is how the body is known, in love. We are growing up and we are exercising those spiritual gifts that we have in the body so that the love of Christ can be known throughout the world to anybody who's looking upon it. Reiterating that Jesus is the head of the body, Paul says in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body. You want to know who's directing his church? He is. He's the head of it. The church who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, and in all things that he will have preeminence. So we have this spiritual sublime idea of a, of a body of Christ on this earth. Let's just picture his body, his arms and legs wrapped around the world and holding it. And in that are all of us, and he's the head of it, governing it, but it's all spiritual. Remember that. So because of all this, the focus on God making Christ the head of the body I am of the opinion that Jesus in heaven beyond on earth below governs everything within his body by the spirit to all who have come uh, to him by faith. He is governing them as individual parts in the body. The head is what tells the fingers to move. The head is what tells the heart to mourn. The head, everything's in the mind. That's why scripture says to renew our minds. It's all a mind game. So we renew our minds with the mind of God, and and, and then we start to fulfill our place. But it's the head that is moving. We are abiding in him, the vine. We are the branches, and he is producing fruit through us. Detach the branch from the vine, you get no fruit. Detach the hand from the body, you get no movement of the hand. So it's all similar ideas that God has expressed through his word to teach us what it means to abide in Christ. He as the head is moving us in his body. That's why the works we do are not ours to boast of. That's why the things, the progress we make as a member of the body is no more it's no more boast no more reasonable for us to boast of the things that we contribute to God's kingdom here on earth then it would be for the belly button to boast because it's gotten bigger as we've grown older. It makes no sense. It has no ability to govern itself in the terms of its size, depth, any or outy. It is what it is because it's in the body. When we are in the body of Christ, we cannot say, oh, I only, I only pray for people. That's all I do. That's all I can do. I only pray. That is a wonderful part of the body. It's as valuable as speaking to 10 million people about Jesus on a Sunday. Understand that, and you're going to abide in love with each other and respect and, and appreciation more than anything else, you see? So the point is, Jesus of Nazareth has been made the head of the church, meaning that believers. In him, make up his body, which is Christ's spiritual body, with all uh, believers being a part. So I make a big deal of the difference between the material church. I know I, this is something I stand on. Are you guys doing drugs back there again? Is that Dave? Okay, Dave is part of the body too. Uh, I make a huge deal, and I know people get tired of it, uh, between the material church and the spiritual church. Well, you don't get any more spiritual of a spiritual church than when you talk about the body of Christ. It is not material. There's nothing about it that's material. Uh, This is a direct appeal to all things spiritual, as Jesus has ascended, and he is the head, the mind, the director over his kingdom and over its constituents in all places, in all ages, of all genders, and he is uh, representing those believers bodily through the spirit. We are his by the spirit. That's why the church, the body today, is spiritual. It is not material. We have stupidly allowed ourselves to make it material And we have allowed it since Constantine, and we have allowed it since the Reformation, and we have allowed it with denominations, and we've allowed it with reformations and restorations, physical, material, material, material. But the body of Christ is, you could not describe it better than being spiritual. So we know then that that is the focus of his church. It's spiritually mandated, not materially lived out, which is what men in religion do. They want to take his body and make it material and make it something men have and men control. That is not what his body is. You see, so let me read that last passage, verse 16 from Ephesians 4. Paul describing the true body of Christ says, For whom the whole body fits jointly together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body, Unto the edifying of itself in love. We edify the body in love. We don't edify the uh, the body in material expansion. The body's not edified because we have a number of meeting houses, locations. The body is expanded, because it's spiritual, in love. You see, that is what uh, Christ's body is known for. It's love. Okay, so back here in 1 Corinthians 12, what Paul is really addressing is how a body of so many different members perform different things in the spirit, performing different things in the spirit, can remain unified in love, and then can spread that love to the world around them. How does that happen? In his epistle to the church at Rome, he's touched on this concept several times, he wrote, listen closely to the way how he describes the way believers should engage with each other. Again, this is a spiritual church. He says, Romans twelve three, For I say through the grace given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Now he's talking about offices. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Okay? Just like the little toe is a member of the body one of another with the cerebellum. There is a connection between that little toe and the cerebellum and they ha- they are interrelated with each other. Okay? So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the pro- proportion of faith or ministry let us wait on ministry or teaching on teaching on exhorting on exhortation he that gives let him do it with simplicity he that rules with diligence he that shows mercy with cheerfulness Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. But condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. I mean, that is... That is a treatise on how to be a Christian. And it is all about getting along and uniting and turning the other cheek when you're slighted, either by somebody who's in the body or somebody who's without, if at all possible. Uh, As much as it lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Okay? So when we consider that the body of believers is the body of Christ spiritually, here and on high these directions make a lot of sense that Paul is giving, both to the church then and then in principle to us today. They make a lot of sense. If or when we begin to think that the body is a material institution in any way, folks, listen with to me, needing human interventions, needing planning committees and agendas, the ability to thrive and love in the Spirit becomes greatly diminished. Greatly diminished. Because what we've done is we've taken the spiritual body of Christ of believers and we've brought it back into a form that can cause this. Well, our planning committee didn't pass this by to have the building available for the group of singing monks on Tuesday. And we had our dancing sisters there. And it just... Material religion. That's when you take what Christianity is and you box it back up into what men want to make it, you see. The fail-safe is love. Err on the side of agape love with all, all, all the time, who profess Christ and have unity with them in the true body of Christ, and then with all others, according to what Paul says. He continues to make his point, and he says at verse 13, but by one spirit, this is in first, uh, first Corinthians. But by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into that one spirit. So this passage has been interpreted a number of ways over the uh, couple thousand years, and uh, it's all because of that darn word baptism. Paul says, for by one spirit. We are all baptized into the one body. And because he said that, every Tom, Dick, and Harry comes along. I haven't used that phrase in a long time. Comes along and says, we got to be baptized. It's got to be this. He says it right there. The word's baptism, right? Okay. I'm not going to regurgitate all the stuff we talk about with baptism. But when there's a guy, his name is John the Baptist. His name could be John the Water Baptist. Okay? You can do that just to keep your mind clear of what he was. And he's like the representation in the New Testament of water baptism. And when he walked the earth, preparing the nation of Israel to receive the promised Messiah, those Jews knew what washings were, and he went around saying, you repent and get ready for the kingdom is at hand, and it's coming your way. Get ready for the Messiah. I believe believe you, John. Get water baptized in preparation. Be washed and cleansed in preparation to receive this Messiah. Jews. That's what it was, right? And while he baptized with water, we cannot forget what he said about the one he was preparing the way for. He said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, Jews. You need to repent according to the law. You've been told the Messiah is coming. He's here. You haven't been following the law. You've been doing this. Repent and be baptized. I indeed do that. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. I can't even tie his shoes. He, I am so unworthy compared to him. Ready? He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Based on this alone, that alone, and we could go into all the other elements of water baptism here, but based on this alone, not forgetting that Jesus, to bring people into his body, brings them in by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is when he gives the Spirit to them, and they are his by the Spirit. That's why they're part of his spiritual body. And I don't, for a second, believe that verse 13, though some do and some don't, think that it's referring to water baptism there. I, although those believers could have been water baptized at Corinth. That's certainly possible uh, altogether. Uh, but Paul is speaking to the baptism that matters relative to a person genuinely being a member of the body of Christ. Okay, Anyone can go to a church Anyone can receive water baptism. Anyone can join the club. Anyone can wear a Jesus t-shirt. Easy to do. Can have a tattoo uh, of a cross on their hand. Anyone can do it. But you aren't in the body spiritually as a functioning member of his body unless you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that's why verse 13 is talking about that. This is that baptism. So Paul reminds the reader at Corinth, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into the body. That's why he says one spirit. I tie that to baptism of the spirit there, not water baptism of John. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, whether we've been made to, oh, excuse me, and have been all made to drink in one spirit. The verse opens with one spirit. The verse ends with one spirit. That's his point. And he uses a sentence there, uh, that we have all been made to drink of that one spirit. So just allow this to kind of sink into your heart for a second. We're really a diverse group of people. I mean, if this group alone sat down at a table, round table, and we started discussing places to vacation, favorite foods, favorite films, sports teams, whatever we're going to have a lot of differences of opinion, I guarantee you. How to raise kids, is pot legal or not, all kinds of things. We're going to have a range from the whole spectrum. That's the material church that, that, that people try to create. Let's all have a commonality in those things, right? If we can get everybody thinking on the same page in that material stuff, we have a church and it's Christ's body. No, 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 not at all. He, his approach was different, his approach was, let's get to the spiritual regeneration of people, and they can sit at a table, and they can disagree on all that stuff, but they probably won't talk much about that because they're going to talk about me and him in the spirit, right? So they were probably a really diverse group of people there at Corinth, former pagans for sure, former Jews, male prostitutes, female prostitutes, uh, sinners, devotees to God, the common denominator that Paul appeals to would serve to make them one spiritually. And because, look, the material will never be one unless you join a cult. You want your material world to look the same, you've got to join a cult. Because then you can then all embrace the same material affectations and believe that by doing that you have become united, like an army or a military. That's a cult. Anything like that. Corporations. IBM, when they used to make you wear the white shirt and tie, I don't know if they still do. That's a cultic practice to show uniformity. In the body of Christ, it's a uniformity of spirit. And that's why it's so dangerous when we allow ourselves to look at people with our material eyes and make assessments of their place in the body based on external evidences. Like, she's not coming to church. Hmm. I wonder if she's even saved things like that I don't see that boy carrying his Bible huh couldn't be a Christian these external things are not what the body is brothers and sisters don't let it mix keep them separate the other stuff's religion works great for earthly religions not the body okay so we can't look to the material as the driver to make us united If we do, we have appealed to the flesh. We're appealing to the ideas of the flesh of men to form an army of like-minded souls. That is just simply called religion, right? So uh, I am distinctly against this form of unity in religion because it's a pseudo approach to unity. It's a pseudo approach to unity. And uh, and it's to the unity that lasts and is eternal. The way you can understand that is if you take yourself from this realm and put yourself in the heavenly realm, what are the things you're going to be united with your brothers and sisters in the heavenly realm? It certainly isn't gonna be whether you go to NASCAR or the opera, right? The material will be gone. So we cannot make the material focus our f- a form of unity we have to make, and I don't care what form it is, we have to make it the spiritual, from the heart. And that's why it's the body of Christ. So I know that's the high horse I climb on, but this is a direct response to those who attempt to take what Paul says in verse 13 and to make it apply in the material world. Uh, Of course, you know, the Mormons are perhaps the preeminent religion in standardizing material affectations To make it look unified. They are the kings of unity. Cookie cutter this, cookie cutter that, cookie cutter dress, cookie cutter speech, the the general authority speech and conference. I can't do it now, but they have the same cadence and speech. It's all to appear to have this unity and and their standard answers. But the interesting thing about that is when you sit down with individuals, you get 10,000 different spiritual responses to things. It's hilarious. that They really aren't unitedly bound spiritually on many things because they differ completely in that way. Versus when you look at a Christian who might have, you know, all sorts of disparate approaches materially. If you get to the core to a Christian and say, what's the core of your faith? Jesus Christ crucified, rose from the grave. I believe, saved by grace. Boom. Done. Over with. And a hallelujah from Ken. So this is this is how it works, and this is what Paul is speaking to. So can't be this. Remember, for by one spirit, we are all listen to the unifying words here. By one spirit, we are all baptized in one body. Whether we be Jews, Gentiles, bond-free makeup artists, pony riders, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. He is bringing it together. And he's saying, don't let the external differences separate you. We are saved by grace through faith, period. And a hallelujah (laughs) from Patrick. (laughs) Now, listen, since the fruit of the spirit that it's all one spirit, the fruit of that spirit is love, then it's by this love that we express to each other as members of the body that tells us we are part of the body. As the head of the body said, listen, it's by this love people know you are my disciples. That's another way of saying it's by this love people know you are part of my body. If you're in my body, you are my disciple because the head is governing the rest of the body. So it's by this love people will know. And it's a great litmus test. It's a litmus test to see the love of people in the body. What's going on? How, how, how much love are they really exhibiting in their walk? Some wonder how this love is actually shown, but the scripture's clear. The scripture describes it. It says it's kind. It's patient. It's long-suffering. It's not boastful, easily entreated, joyful, and everything else he's going to describe in the very next chapter for a very good reason, because the next chapter is the summary of how to keep this unity together. Now, the actual verse, we see a contrast between the unique diversities in the body that Paul mentions, bond and free, Jew and Gentile. Those are really radical differences if you, if you knew the time. But the words one and all and one body and one spirit, they invade that that scripture. They surround Jew, Gentile, bond-free. Around that, he surrounds them with one and all and one spirit and one body. All around those differences. And in other words, it is by the Spirit that we are made one. And since the Spirit bears specific fruit, we have to conclude that such fruit will be present in the engagements that the members of the body, whether they're bond or free or male or female or Jew or Gentile, that it's the love, the fruit of the spirit that tells us we are all united. That's why when you travel, if you're a Christian and you run into a Christian, there is an immediate um, koinonia with them, immediate. And uh, you know, that, that, that love continues in the exchange that you have with them in an airport or whatever. And it only breaks down when one or the other parties decides to say something relative to the material faith. Well, you know, where do you go to church? Oh, well, I go to the church of the Himalayan uh, monks. We believe in Jesus, but we're Himalayan monks. Oh, no, 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 no. You couldn't be. And then we have the division, right? So you can, you can abide in that koinonia love, the heavenly love, so long as one person, the other, or both don't bring out the the, 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 the cards to say, okay, well, do you pass this test? That's when it will break down, and the unity in the body falls apart. So the idea is, having been done by one and the same spirit, we note Paul speaks of all being baptized into one body, and all have been made to drink one spirit. Now, I don't have evidence for this, but I think he's talking about the communion that they were taking. I think that they used the cup, they passed it around, they have all been made to drink the one spirit. And I just happen to think that's what he's talking about. There are some other translations to think that people think that they are filled with the same spirit the way you would be filled if you drank a gallon of water. And everybody drank a gallon of water from the same stream. But I tend to think, this is my opinion, that he's speaking of the the communion cup there that was uh, enacted until Christ came. And then he says at verse 14, a summary for the body is not one member, but many taking this principle, which is true of how I suppose everybody in creation is right. Everybody in creation. I'm a guessing I'm not a scientist. I've heard of single cell amoebas, but I imagine that they're made up in the of many, many, many parts. So I would imagine any body uh, that is in the world is made up of many parts he says, he gets to the illustration now. And he says, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. This is the Eeyore approach. I'm not the hand, I'm not part of the body. I'm just the foot, right? He starts with the Eeyore approach. He gives us two examples. Uh, Am I therefore not the body? Is Is that legitimate? Because I am not the hand, I'm not the body, says the foot. Now, I have some information that disturbs people when this comes up, but it's kind of common in Scripture. Paul didn't come up with this analogy. Uh, we want to believe that he did, but he didn't. Uh, Aesop, the great Greek mythmaker, 500 years before, he came up with the same illustration. Uh, many parts, one body, and all being unified, but many parts. There's also a guy named uh, Meneus Agrippa, a Roman general, according to the, histor- the Roman historian Levi, or Livy, he, um, he was really angry because the peasants were rising up to kill the, the uh, aristocracy. And he gave an analogy that all the parts of the body are attacking the stomach. And this was 500, 400 years before Christ. So Paul is not probably creating this out of nowhere. He was an educated guy uh, as a Pharisee. He was both Greek and knew the Roman laws he certainly would have read Livy. He certainly would have understood what the Aesop's fables were. And so I'm sure he borrowed from that. That's fine. Doesn't mean it wasn't true. Uh, He he was led of the spirit to use this analogy because it's a good one, right? So I just wanted to point that off. So he starts off in one way that differing members of the body kind of relate and it's where one member does not see themselves as being very beneficial to the rest of the body, like when they compare themselves to what the other part is doing. Paul puts it, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, and therefore it's not of the body. And then verse 16, he gives us another example. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, right? Is therefore it not of the body? So the idea seems to be first, don't compare yourself. to other members of the body. We can't all be Billy Graham. We can't all be Charles Spurgeon. We can't all be Mother Teresa's. It doesn't work that way. Uh, can't all be Ken Radden's. God doesn't work that way. It, his wisdom, which Paul is going to make clear, goes so much deeper, folks, and is far more elevated than the way we see things in the world. We see, according to the Psalms, we see things with our eyes and we then hierarchy them out. Billy Graham, me, right? That is not the way God does it, right? So just because some member of the body feels or thinks they're unimportant or not as important as another part, in no way means you are correct. And if you're one of those, snap out of it because that is not how it works. Any more than we can say the little tiny, I don't, this isn't medically correct. The little tiny artery that leads to the left ventricle can say, I'm not as important as the face. Take that little left ventricle piece out and you're dead. Dead. So understand how God works. It has nothing to do with quantity. Nothing. It has to do with his workings and do you trust that or not, right? So just because some members of the body think it doesn't mean it's true. Paul addresses this right off the bat, and then he adds the following insight at verse 17. If the whole body was an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where's the smelling? So just think of the human body for a minute. That's what Paul's doing in the analogy. And what good would the human body be? Imagine it, I have one right up here standing next to me. And it's all eyes. That's all it is. It's a big ball of a thousand eyes, okay? Well, we'd have to haul the thing around. We'd have to go into debt for Visine. It would have to get glasses. We'd have to hold the glasses up to it. We'd have to adjust them for it. It's a nightmare, this chimera of eyeball human life, right? Okay, so what good would it be if it misses the magnificent parts that God has created for men and women to walk around on this earth and experience this life, right? So, what if the body was all any part? To what end? It doesn't work, right? how inferior it would be. Then, just strip out a key component. Take a human body with all of its parts, but take out the bones. Just, just any part you want, really. Take off the skin. You can take off the arms, but it's still gonna have one heck of a difficulty. You can take off the legs. Yes, we can survive and accomplish. It doesn't make you inferior, but that's not how we were supposed to come out into this world. So all of the parts of the body are not only extremely useful in their proper place. To remove any of them and allow them to become infected could destroy the whole thing anyway. That little toe, infected bad enough, can kill the whole body. A single tooth. I knew a guy, he, he had like a great retirement plan. It was when I was an investment guy. He and his wife, he was, really looked young. He's about 65 years old had all his hair, silver fox. And his wife comes in one day and she says, he's totally like almost brain dead. What happened? He was out working in the garden and suddenly he just, he just fell over and started shaking and shaking. And we felt his forehead and he had a super high fever, got up to like 107. And it was like 107 for, for, uh, five or six hours so they could get it down and we did everything possible to find out what was wrong with him and we couldn't find out until some doctor opened his mouth and looked up in his tooth and and it looked different and they got a dentist in there and he had an abscess that grew up into his sinuses and it did something and it made his fever uh, spike up so high he just was leveled by that little tooth having an infection and all of his power all of his hair all of his might all of his greatness leveled in one single experience out in the garden. I won't forget these things because it helps us understand that like in the body, every part is vital. And if one part gets infected, then it's not good. So Paul brings this forward in verse 18, but now has God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. Now, there comes the faith. Do you believe it? Do you think God has set the body up the way he was supposed to, the way he wanted to, the way that it would best work? And and do you think that it's pleased him? So do you trust it? Do you accept it? Do you ever find yourself as believers who's been saved by grace through faith, feeling so different from others? Uh, Materially, you wonder maybe sometimes, even if you're a Christian, have you ever wondered, am I even a Christian? I have, I've wondered that many times in my life. I can't relate to a lot of these people, but I need to, I've got to learn to, but I mean, bottom line, you're gonna feel that way. I'm sure the left ventricle feels very alienated from the stomach. I'm sure it doesn't feel like it can relate very well to these parts, right? So you have to see yourself for what you are in this unity And realize God has put us together for a purpose. And your purpose is as vital as anyone else. So, Paul reiterates the point saying in verse 19, And if they were all one member, where's the body? If everyone's a prophet, how would anything get done that required service or helps, that he's talked about spiritual gifts? If everyone is the main artery, gross as it sounds, how's the body going to get rid of waste? If God put the body together physically, all parts are important. Even if they appear to serve in a function that's not readily acknowledged by us. Modern science sometimes doesn't even acknowledge. When I was a kid, everybody got their tonsils out. Everybody, I had mine out. I remember, terrible experience. Gone are my tonsils. Now they find out those things serve to do something. They like help prevent colds and stuff because they gather up all the mucus. That's why you would get a sore throat. It keeps you from invading the rest of the body so they don't take them out like they used to. They still do tonsillectomies on young kids, younger parents, do you know? I haven't even heard of it. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, okay. But when I was a kid, everybody got their tonsils out, right? This is it's medicine, not understanding, right? So Paul says it again, but now there are many members, yet one body. It's a reiteration. And at this point, he steps from an individual member having the Eeyore complex, I'm not important, And he starts speaking of one member thinking they're better than another. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need for you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. In other words, it's just as illogical for a member of the body of Christ to look at others and contextually speaking, talking about spiritual gifts, they bring to the table and say, we don't have need of your ways here. We don't have need of you. Uh, it would be as illogical as for the eye of the human body to say to the hand, we have no need of you. Uh, when you think about it, it would be the height of arrogance, right? For the eye to take that uh, language upon itself to use against the hand. I don't need you. It would be presumptuous. It would be speaking as if the eye were all-knowing. The uh, all-see eye. It would be all-knowing, and it would be making these presumptions, right? So Paul says, not good, not good. The eye needs and relies on the hand even to remove the beams out of it and to rub the, the sawdust out of it. The eye needs the hand. It can't say, I have no need of you. Naturally, the solution to all this potential, again, you know it, is love. That would be selfless love, which isn't proud and boastful. And so that one part would never say to the other part, we have no need of you, right? Uh, when I was swimming for BYU, we were in Canada and the, the, one of the lead swimmers on the team, uh, we were in a van traveling at night and we were talking about a guy who had converted who had gotten drunk in Canada. And he got so drunk he threw up because he, he didn't know that Canadian beer was like 6% and Utah beers was 2.5 at that time and he got drunk and got so sick, and he was a new member of the church, and and I've shared this before, but that really important swimmer, All-American swimmer, he said, the church doesn't need him. That's how he put it. He got drunk, made a mistake, he was a new member. The church doesn't need him. And uh, I have to caution myself against that attitude sometimes when I speak out against certain church leaders and what I think they're doing is atrocious in the name of God. You know, it's pretty arrogant, and I have to admit, it. I've had to really reflect upon my own heart here as I've studied this out, I'll, but I'll never forget that guy. The church doesn't need him, and it hit my heart so strongly. How could you say that about this guy, you know? So Paul takes us to a new level to consider just in case the more noble or popular parts of the body start to think of themselves as more important than the other parts. Then he says in verse 22 through 24, no, ready? This is such a good part. Much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor and are ugly parts have more abundant beauty, for our beautiful parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. Paul pretty much is making a comparison to the parts of the human body that are attractive compared to the parts that are less attractive, or as Paul puts it, more, more feeble, more be- less beautiful, and tells us that the appealing parts are generally much less important, honorable, or necessary than those parts that are unattractive and feeble. I mean, let's just personify a human body, and we'll use a male here to keep it simple. What parts of the male's physical body are requisite, for life. Okay. (laughs) Patrick's laughing. So I'm not going to ask him, but we can put it on a table here. The heart, the lungs, the kidneys, right? The intestines, uh, the vital organs, what they call them, the vital organs and all the connective tissues that keep those vital organs running, laid out on a table, looking at it right now, we would not be impressed. We would not be impressed at all. We love that that man before he was deconstructed. I mean, as a human being, he was great. But those inner parts, he just don't really do anything for us, right? We don't have any affinity for them. Now, let's put on the table the things that make the human male appealing. Quiet Patrick and Ken. The hair, the eyes, the lips, the chest, the stomach, the stomach muscles, the six pack leg muscles, the butt for women and gay guys, I guess, buttocks, attractive, but not necessary. You can cut buttocks off. You can remove pretty eyes. They're blind. It would be, but they would live. You can shave their head. You can take cut off their face. Probably anything you're attracted to isn't really necessary. That's what Paul is saying. Here's the thing. This is Paul's point. And we got to apply it to the body of Christ. Remember, spiritual versus material. We so stupidly assign value to the visual, which is a uh, which is a material thing. We so stupidly think that the people who have a presence are more important or more valuable than the people who don't or who are not seen. It's not true. I'm not just saying it. We have a pre- I have a presence. I think, in part, I have my reward. I mean, I get, I get my reward all the time when people backslap. Hey, you do, you've done a great job, years of that. You know, you really went after those, good job, you know. Years of that. Some people quietly are supporting the body and they get nothing, nothing outwardly. They receive nothing but rejection. And they are doing their part consistently, daily, Praying, serving, sharing, anything that these parts on the table that are so ugly would do, the vital organs of the body. So we think that those who are making a boy, they're producing fruit, they really have been. It's stupid thinking. So you gotta reject it as often as you can. Because every part is vital. So but Paul reminds us so that we don't flip it and become angry at the parts that aren't necessary. God has tempered the body together. Literally, God has mixed that that word tempered. He has coalesced, joined, formed the body with all these parts to work in union and love and harmony with each other because every part is useful, every part is important, to the body. And since God has arranged the human body in this way, we ought to see that he has likewise united it, and he is likewise the head of it, and we are going to follow it. Therefore, every part should be seen as useful and important. Every part. Wouldn't it be fun right now if we could just magically experience, like in this small group, us personifying for 10 minutes what we are in the physical body, if God could do that? suddenly we change to the thing that we are in the physical body. It would be hilarious to see each other for what we're really functioning as, you know? Some of you might boom into a pulsing heart, right? That's an important part of the body. And it might not be someone we think should be the pulsing heart. Some of you might turn into brains. Some, (laughs) I don't know what I'd turn into. I would seriously be afraid to see that. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it would be something, I'm sure, embarrassing. Uh, but that is it. If we could just transition that uh, physically to ourselves. And, and, and that is the point. The spiritual things are what we're looking for here, you guys. We're looking for the love. We are not looking for the outward manifestation. That's of men. So, there, in giving the uncomely parts more honor, the popular parts less importance... In terms of survival, Paul reminds us that God has done this, verse 25, 26, that, God has done this, that there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care for each other. If we have someone who's serving as the outward belly button, if we have an armpit or two, if we have earwax, they are as important as everybody else. Sounds like a communal approach? It is. Sounds like communism in the spiritual sense? It is. I think Jesus was a consummate uh, socialist communist. Not politically. No, no, not socioeconomically. I'm just talking about in the body relative to that. And that is when we have unity. When you have the hierarchies, you start to get into trouble. You know. So that word schiz, uh, schiz, schismatic... Matticus, you know from being here that God does not use that word very often in Scripture. It's used like three times, and the one time He uses it when He tears the temple veil in two, because it means a very ugly rent. And so there should be no rents in the body. And this is where I have I've, I'm, I'm coming around to something. I have rent a lot of things in the body. I think as I get older, I'm going to start to shut my mouth and repent of the renting I've done. I'm going to let Christ handle it, and I'm going to shut up about it because that is the thing that came to me clearly. Let that do its part. I'll do my part, and we'll let it flesh out in the end. No schizoing, the the root word. And when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That little fly. Before we conclude, seek in your heart to discover what part you play in the body. Think about it. What part do you play? And then like Shakespeare, play it well. Play that part well. It's just as important as every other part. And also think to yourself, if you are looking down on someone who doesn't appear to fit the model that we create in our minds. Uh, there are some radical people out there They are so out there and they are so full of the love of God. And the instant knee-jerk reaction is, I don't understand them, so I'm gonna kill them. And that shouldn't be. It should be, I don't understand them. Let me find out what they're what they're about. Let me bring them in, rather exclude them, right? Christ operates in that body, so I think that's important, Uh, living and learning, growing in this concept. We're going to continue on and wrap up chapter um, 12 and get to the fantastic chapter 13 uh, next week. All right, questions, comments, insights. Who is Arvana White today? Arvana is a young Patrick. Hi, Sean. Patrick has a comment or question. I do. I'm gonna this is the first. We've never had Arvana have a question. Well, but,
2: because I've been in the audience. But anyways, and then I'll pass it off. But, you know, the body, Christ was resurrected with the physical body, right? Now, do you believe that Christ has that body today?
0: I don't, no, but other people do.
2: Okay. And so that gets into my comment for everybody to think about that. Since God, since Christ was resurrected with a physical body. He doesn't need that body today. Whether he still has it or not, wherever it is, that's the mystery. But God is spirit. And now we are the body of Christ in right. that sense. Yeah. By the spirit, because yeah. God is spirit. Yeah,
0: And he's our head of that spiritual body.
2: Now, yeah. you said something about John the Baptist, yeah. the water Baptist. John the water baptist. <laughs> that's not going to get out of my head. But... You, you, you made a comment that uh, in the New Testament were well, you didn't make it a comment. The narrator did in the Bible. Made the comment that John said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Yeah, I don't think that literally means buckle his shoe thing or untie it. I think that means I'm not worthy to fill his place mm. at all. I'm not worthy to put on his shoes and in a symbolic sense mm. and walk where he's walked and be who he is mm. I love that that's how I see it love it thank you so, and it. then this love thing I'm
0: on board this love thing let's go with it baby love is a beautiful thing it is and love is a many splendor thing uh, anybody comments questions insights additions all right I guess you said it all okay thanks all right. Hey, just to let you know, uh, we usually don't do this, but um, we have a woman who is LDS, and uh, she was allegedly uh, raped when she was a missionary in the MTC by the mission president at the time, uh, Joseph Bishop, and we're going to be interviewing her here Tuesday from 10 a.m. to probably 2. Um, If you're interested in that whole thing, we're going to really get into it with her. Uh, She's had national attention, and she's really pushing to have people be responsible for this, and so it's going to make for some, uh, some really good stuff. Her name's McKenna Denson. She'll be here, and so if our group here is interested, show up at 10. You can show up and hang with us, and if not, you can watch it on Heart of the Matter beginning next Tuesday night uh, at 8 o'clock, part one. All right, let's pray. Let me read this really quickly. Oh, yeah. Lord, we, uh, we love you, and we want to be part of your uh, body in the spirit. We want to walk in love. We want to respond to people as you would. It, it We don't talk about feelings much here, but when we do, it feels right. It feels good. It, it, there, there is a feeling to representing you to people on this earth, and it's a much better uh, sense than when we ridicule ostracize, harm, and uh, so we're growing together, and we're learning to do this, and we pray that within the body, we will not see uh, ourselves as superior members, and we'll not see ourselves as inferior members, but we will see ourselves as important and serving a part, no matter what it is, because you've put us here, we pray that we can approach that in faith. With this love, we pray that you'll remember people who are on this list. We pray for Tracy Uh, Wife, Brooke, passed away this morning. So going through um, tremendous grief, which happens at, at the loss of life, and we pray for Tracy. And we also pray for Teresa, who lost her uncle, who I baptized 10 years ago in Springville. Lost him to cancer, and we pray for that family. We pray for Gracie, continued peace and comfort in her cancer treatments. Allow her to be a child. While uh, she still can and comfort her family, and our prayers are going out for her. We pray for others who are suffering in the flesh. and people who are suffering with sorrow and with loss and grief, and feeling alienated, feeling like maybe they pray to a, uh, a tin heaven, that they don't have a connection to you. We pray that you will make yourself known to them and that they will walk in faith and, and grow in love. We pray for Jeff Jenks to be healed of body and mind. He's in uh, critical condition, Platelets, low platelets in his blood. And anybody else on here that I haven't mentioned? haven't talked about Diana in a while. She used to come here all the time, but she's been sequestered to a place to live, which is nice, but she also is absent from our present. There's, These are all parts of the body that are suffering in different ways. Help us to remember them. Help us to remember the people in our prayers who have become alienated from us for whatever reason, family members, uh, neighbors, people here at campus who have gotten mad at me or others. And uh, we pray that we will pray for them. That's what you tell us to do, to pray for people who have become our enemies and that we will forgive all people of all things so that we can abide in your love. So, Lord, we lift all this up to you. We're beginning at the beginning of this week, a Sunday, and we're going to springboard out into this week you've given us. And we pray that you, we will do the things that you want us to do And we will sense your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.